Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We're on episode 210. We've got a great guest for you today. Before we get to that, if you haven't checked out our free tool agent, you definitely want to stop by and check it out. You can find that over at myspeakingagent.com, myspeakingagent.com. We're going to find a, a database of over a thousand different conferences and events that are looking for speakers like you. So it's totally free. Again, stop by, check it out over at myspeakingagent.com, myspeakingagent.com. Now, coincidentally, Incidentally, while we're talking about uh, agent, uh, the tool agent, we're actually going to be talking with Karen Harris today, who is the CEO of CMI Speaker Management, a management agency for speakers. So in this conversation, we're going to be talking about the difference between speaker agents and bureaus. We're going to talk about who needs a speaker agent, who who does Karen work with in her business. We're going to talk about her perspective on the speaking industry. She works with a lot of different clients. What is it that clients want to see from speakers when considering hiring them? She kind of gives us a pulse on the marketplace as of today. We also talk about what's the, the difference between speakers who make it versus those that don't. She works with a lot of speakers, sees a lot of speakers, has been in the industry for a long time. So she gives a lot of great perspectives on speaking and the speaking industry. So this is a really great conversation. I really enjoy this. I think you're really going to dig this as well. So uh, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Karen Harris from CMI Speaker Management. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are joined by Miss Karen Harris, who is the CEO of CMI Speaker Management. And I was really excited to, uh, to chat with her today, all things speaker agents. So uh, Karen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Great to meet you, Grant. So we were introduced by our mutual friend, uh, Sean Hanks, who's the uh, the president over at Premier Speakers Bureau. And uh, as we were both just bragging about how wonderful and how great he is, just an amazing guy. So glad he was able to, uh, to connect us. So talk to us about what exactly is CMI? What do you do within speaker management? CMI is designed to represent the speaker's interests and take care of them. And this is from my perspective. Everything I say is from my perspective. There's other management agencies out there. Some of them operate different, a little bit differently than we do, but everything's totally, you know, this is my perspective. This is how I started in the industry. I started working for a team of speakers and was their office, their, you know, their sales, marketing, administration, et cetera, et cetera. And so I grew up within the speaker side of the business. And so my whole perspective has been focused around how do we take care of that speaker? How do we grow that speaker's business? So my perspective on the management agency is that we are totally focused on the speaker's interests, their business growth, and taking care of them. A speaker bureau, for instance, will be more focused on their client database, mm -hmm. looking after not doing a good matchmaking every year with that client database. So they are more focused on their clients than they are on their roster of speakers. 
with the exception of those that have exclusive speakers who, of course, would have to have the speaker's interests at heart as well. So yeah, we're totally speaker focused. So it sounds like you do, obviously, the speaking part of their career is obviously the huge piece of it. But it sounds like you do even a little bit more than that, more than just I booked you a gig, and that's kind of the end of the transaction. Sounds like you're kind of looking at the speaker holistically and figuring out what other opportunities may be available to them. Sure, sure. We look at the speaker's business. And and we do focus mainly on just speaking. We have done some work in the consulting area. Some of our speakers have done consulting and we've been involved in that stuff. Speakers, obviously, a number of our speakers have written books and I've been sort of a sounding board in that case as well. So we sort of span everything that ties into the speaking part of the world. We really focus on helping the speaker be who they need to be authentically from their own, from their messaging and who they are as people. But we really want to draw out the speakers, the biggest potential that they have and allow them the freedom. We want to take care of all the back end stuff, all the nitty gritty stuff so that they then have the freedom to really expand their intellectual property based on that message and who they are as an individual. So how did you get so, into this business? Because you, you mentioned that you, you used to work kind of on the back end and just helping with some sure. back office type stuff. How did that all come to be? Sure, sure. I worked with a pair of speakers who spoke as a team, Jamie Clark and Alan Hobson, Mount Everest climbers. The year I got hired was the year they were going back to Everest. And I was hired to manage their office. And yeah, I did everything from soup to nuts. I did everything yeah. from taking inquiries to booking hotel or whatever, right? And within three months, we'd grown their business enough that we could hire someone to do the administrative stuff. And I started focusing on sales and marketing. And so I I literally cut my teeth on working with those two individuals, worked with uh, one of them for a total of eight years, and then started CMI as a result. I love the idea of how I can contribute to growing a speaker professionally so that they are getting booked a ton and because if you professionally are not growing if you are not what the market's looking for well you got to make some adjustments right you got to become who without sacrificing who you are authentically without sacrificing your message you've got to still you've got to have a hook that the market's going to be interested in And so I love that part of the advice work that I do. That's what I do specifically with the speakers is I work with them to really keep them focused on who they are authentically, what their message is, and is, is it conducive to today's market, which is rapidly moving and changing all the time. Yeah. 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 So So. one of the things I'm curious about is, is what are the differences between a a bureau and, and what you do as a speaker management company? And I can, outside looking in, I can see some of those differences, but I'm curious from your perspective, what are the differences? Sure, sure. A bureau is more focused, like a traditional bureau, let's call it that. They are more focused on, uh, very focused on just booking gigs. That that's, what they do. They play matchmaker between their client base and their speaker database. And the speaker bureau agent, their whole job is to book a gig. And then, of course, they do have staff that service that gig that, that help to advance that gig. Speaker bureaus are all about booking gigs. My management agency is more about Yes, it's totally about business growth. And yes, it's totally about booking gigs for the speaker. However, we are just as interested in being that full service to the speaker so that 
we become their office. We handle all their back end kind of advancing of dates. We handle all of that kind of stuff. But we also become a partner in terms of marketing, positioning, messaging to help them to stay on target, to stay focused so that they can then create intellectual property and a very good digital footprint. Digital footprint today is absolutely essential and it needs to be different. It needs to be unique. Lots of customers are not looking to buy. Let's put it this way. Customers are looking to buy more diversity than they ever have before. They are looking to buy female, different color, different gender, et cetera. Mm. They are looking for a lot more diversity than ever before. And so if you are not of color or of any kind of diversity, if you have no real diversity to your name, then you've got to find a different way to be unique and a different way to, to stand out from the crowd. And, you know, it used to be that people didn't like You know, you'd hear comments back in the day. This is going to sound really strange, but back in the day, you'd hear comments from customers about, you know, I don't like those sideburns or I don't like the way he dresses. You know, maybe he dressed, maybe somebody dressed in blue jeans or whatever, right? When they came on stage, all of that's completely different. All of that's completely different. People are now looking for that authentic human that's going to come on stage. And if that means you dress totally in blue jeans and sneakers and whatever all else, and have a long ponytail, it just doesn't matter anymore. They're looking for different, authentic, and somebody who's smart and a knowledge expert in what they talk about. And so as someone like yourself who really has a pulse on the industry and what people are looking for on a regular basis, I definitely want to come back to that because I I think there's a lot for us to discuss there. It seems like also as it relates to just like a a bureau and agent and versus like an an agency Mm -hmm. that you work with like a a much smaller cultivated group of speakers versus... Very um, much so. So how many speakers do you work with it look like 10 12 um, 15 i have 10 on my roster okay. i kind of look at it i like the boutiqueness yes, of it yes. i like to have a small roster it enables me to stay hands-on with with all of my speakers it doesn't mean that i handle all their day-to-day stuff i have staff who handle day-to-day inquiries etc but it enables me to at least once every three months or less however often it works out with the speaker but it enables me to work with them to ensure that we're on target marketing-wise and positioning-wise. So that's the piece of the business that we're really honing on, ensuring that the the speaker knows what the market's looking for and that we're staying on target. We're staying on target. And literally, sometimes it's every two to three months. We just are working on some repositioning with one of our speakers. And he's, you know, just over the course of the last three months, we've been honing his positioning and refining it and refining it and refining it to what we think is now going to be really good for the next three to six months. And then we're going to have to revisit it again because it's in a space of innovation, which is constantly evolving and changing. So not sure if I answered your question. Did I get, I got off track again, didn't I? No, no, because you said like you guys do much more, you take a much more boutique feel, whereas like a bureau, and again, they both have their place. It's not that one's better or worse than the other, but if a a bureau may have a thousand speakers on their website or roster, they may only book, you know, 10, 15, 20% of them consistently. That's correct. Um, That's correct. Whereas for you, you have 10 and it's, I guess it's almost like being mom to 10 children and like, these are my babies and I'm going to make (laughs) sure these babies are taken care of. Yep, you got it. That's exactly the perspective. I very much feel like uh, this is my family. These guys are, everybody that's on my roster are, are part of my family. And yeah, I look after them like they were my own kids. 
So like outside looking in, if I'm a speaker, I'm going like, well, I mean, Karen sounds like a dream mom. Like, how do I, how do I get a, like, if she just finds me gigs, she helps me think through the industry. She thinks through the business. And this is the same thing that Sean and I from Premiere have talked a lot about of just like speakers just think if I can just get in with a bureau, if I can just get in with Karen, then I'm just set for life. And the reality is like, it just doesn't work like that. So for a speaker who's listening, going like, I, if I can just get in with a bureau, if I can just get in with an agency, then I'm good. And then I'm just going to, they're going to book gigs and I get to do my thing and it all is going to work out. So kind of talk us through like, what's the difference between perception and reality? Yeah, it, it isn't a magic bullet. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if a speaker, let's say Premier puts uh, you on their roster, there's no guarantee you're going to get a booking this year, next year. There's Ever. just no guarantees. Yeah. You will get a booking if you are really good on stage, if you have a strong digital footprint so that customers are finding you and then they're going to their favorite agent at Premier and saying, I heard about XYZ, mm-hmm. uh, I saw this article written by them, et cetera, et cetera. I'd like to check them out. So the speaker needs to do an immense amount of work then before the bureau is going to just drum business out of the, yep. uh, the world for them. Yep. The speaker has got to lay a huge foundation, a very strong foundation. And it's it's a much bigger foundation that you need now than it was five years ago or ten years ago. You need you need that experience of being on stage numerous times. You need the experience of being of writing well and honing your message and honing your positioning so that who you are in the marketplace is exceptionally clear. And when so and so's you know SEO when SEO is just popping you up all the time. This probably sounds, especially to the new speaker, this must sound absolutely daunting. And I get it because it it would be daunting to me if I chose to be on the other side of the chair, right? Right. But it is a piece of being, if you want to be a full-time speaker, if you want to do have this as your business, it's just what has to be done. It's just the way it is. Totally. So, you know, what we look for here at CMI is we look for a speaker who's got a good foundation. They're doing at least 30 to 50 dates a year. I really like 50, but, you know, I've looked at some speakers with 30. They've got a digital footprint. They've got good video and and a lot of video. They've got lots of YouTube stuff up there that's current, that isn't five years old. <laughs> you can't can't be keeping that stuff up if it's over. Like, that's one little tip, please. If it's more than a year old, take it off of YouTube. I don't care how good it is. You've got to put something more recent up. It's absolutely critical that you look like you are very contemporary with your video. Absolutely essential. Even if you want to take it down and put it up a month later, it's going to be dated this year. Just keep in mind that you, if it's five years old, you will look different just look at pictures of you from five years ago. <laughs> you will look different. Your hair is different. Your face is different. The, the size of your face. I mean, as we as we mature, everything about us changes. Yeah. And so photos and video, all that stuff needs to be as current as possible. Yeah. I'm asking my speakers to rotate photos and video annually. And pretty soon I know it's going to probably be every six months. Wow. It's just how fast the market is looking at are they new? Are they trendy? Are they young? Are they female? Are they this? Are they that? Yeah. They're looking for latest, greatest, newest, best all the time. 
Interesting. Very interesting. And so going back to the, I guess, the bureau agency, like I know one of the things that Sean has always said, a great line I like to steal from him is that the bureaus, they don't create demand, they manage demand. Meaning that if you can't, if you can't get a booking yourself, like an agency or a bureau is not like, we have so many gigs and we're just looking for someone to, to fulfill these yeah. for this. It's, it just doesn't work like that. So you're looking for people who already yeah. have momentum in the marketplace and you're able to just pour gas on that fire and help yeah. to accelerate yeah. that even more. So again, very important for people to, to recognize a note there. So you kind of touched on a few things there. You work with a lot of potential clients. What is it that you see right now that clients are, are looking for from speakers before hiring them? I'm looking at five or 10 different speakers, considering them bringing them in for my event. You mentioned the diversity was important. You mentioned the foundation piece. What goes into that foundation? What are the, the assets, websites, videos that they're looking for that like if they have they check these boxes, it's really going to increase the likelihood of them getting booked? What are event planners sure. looking for today? Websites are still important. Uh, I think there's going to be coming a day when I don't know what's going to happen with websites. Talk to somebody that's really on the cutting edge of, of the future with regards to websites. But at this point, a good, strong, current website, uh, mobile friendly, um, it's essential. It's where they're going to go to figure out if you have any street cred. They're going to look at who you are in, the, in terms of your video. And if your video isn't right there on the homepage, front and center, they're going to move away pretty quick because that's what they're looking for. They're looking to see who you are on stage, what you bring to the table. Is this, do I, can I even think about putting this woman in front of my team at this event? So website with video right front and center is critical. That video has got to be current. And sometimes that's hard to get, especially for the newer speaker. If there are some listening, newer speakers, that's really sometimes very hard to get. But that may mean you have to actually invest in bringing in a crew to videotape you, however often it requires you to get until you get good, good, strong footage. Websites essential, a great presence on YouTube, having your own channel with lots of video, lots of speaking excerpts. And candids would be secondary to that. You know, lots of speakers have gone to, you know, doing uh, on-camera messages, right, where they're pulling content out of their out of their talk and putting it on video and on YouTube channel, et cetera. And that's all great, but that's not what the buying customer really is going to want to yes. see. They want to see you on stage, yes. and they want to see they want to see this in bite-sized pieces. Not everybody, some people are going to want to just have bite-side pieces. Other customers are going to want to have bite-size and a little bit longer piece so that they can see your presentation style and audience reaction, et cetera. It's, it's kind of all over the map. So have some of each. Have a two-minute clip. Have a three-minute clip. Have a six-minute clip. Have a 10-minute clip. Have lots of variety for customer to, to move around through your video. So YouTube. Vimeo is not Can I ask you a question on the, on the videos for a second? Because sure. I, I just I so agree with everything you said there because I, I have a lot of speakers who will ask like, you know, I have a, a clip of some media appearance or I have a podcast interview. Can I put the, like, it's just a yeah, different context. It it's a different, because like speaking to an audience totally. and speaking on an interview are two totally different things. So exactly. making sure that you're showing you actually speaking in an audience there. So I'm curious on a couple just rapid fire things as it relates to that. Showing multiple venues or better to show like one venue, multiple clips? Well, if you can show multiple venues, absolutely. Okay. You know, for a more uh, seasoned speaker, they should be able to get video from, you know, X number, five, six per year, whatever it is. And so showing the different venues, showing the different audiences just ups your street cred. 
Absolutely. Okay. And then is it better to show, if I'm showing like a three minute video, better to show one three minute clip or chunked up into two, six 30 second clips? Everybody has an opinion about this. Some folks have gone to a two, three minute clip that is actually their demo video. So yep. chunked up, st- you know, stuff with some flash and, yep. and testimonials, et cetera. All that's great. That works. I've got speakers who have a sizzle reel. We call it a sizzle reel. It works for them. Other speakers will do like a two to three minute clip, sort of more or less unedited. Mm-hmm. Both work. Both work. What I encourage most of my speakers to do is if you want to have a sizzle reel, have a sizzle reel. That'll pique their interest. That entices them in. Then we have like about a six minute, five to six minute video that shows more speaking clips than it does sizzle. That gives them a sense of who you are on stage, et cetera. And then if you're smart, you'd have for those who need it, you'd have something that's nine, 10 minutes long. That would be an excerpt from a talk. So a nine, 10 minute excerpt from a talk. So they can really kind of delve into you a little bit deeper. You give them two, three things. It's it's kind of like a drip marketing thing. Mm -hmm. Hopefully folks understand what I mean by that. You entice them with the sizzle. You hook them a little bit more with, God, I sound awful, don't I? <laughs> you hook them with the, with the three-minuter, and then you give them more for the nine, ten-minute. But, you know, that's what marketing is all about, right? Well, I've always used the analogy with demo videos and sizzle reels. that like it, Think of it like a movie trailer. The point of a movie trailer exactly. is to make people want to see more. And so that's the point exactly. of the demo video. It's just they need to see it. And there's speakers who – it's that chicken-egg situation of like, I need footage to get a gig, but I need a gig to get footage. And so – yeah, you know, we've talked through different scenarios it on is, what you what you need to do. Egg. Yeah, but that's like, a really good analogy about the movie thing because if you think about you know the new Mission Impossible movie that just came out, sure. well, they drip marketed to us big time. Yeah, they gave us you know like a thirty second, and then they gave us a different thirty second. Like they just they in, increased our intention to go see that movie with every new trailer that they brought out. So the same idea needs to be happening here. Same mm-hmm. idea. And with regards going back to the YouTube and, and mm-hmm. what you were saying about the candids or the podcasts yep. or whatever, I would have, if you're smart, because this is cost you anything, have a YouTube channel that's strictly for your speaking and shows all your speaking clips. Yeah. And then have another YouTube channel that's for your education or for your fans or whatever you want to, wherever, yep. whatever, wherever you want to put your candids and your podcasts and your whatever. They all tie together. Yep. They're not, you know, you're not, you're not going to lose a customer because they can't find that. It's just that you are serving the market, the marketplace differently and in the way they want to be served. And that's a great point that uh, speakers always have to remember is that there's a huge difference between your buyer and your audience. And so your, your audience member, they may care about what's going on, you know, some latest whatever thing that you want to talk about or this yeah. podcast interview. Yeah. Yeah. The event planner who's considering hiring you doesn't care about that per se. I want to see you actually speak and I'm not willing yeah. to hire you or especially not pay you a lot of money to speak until I've actually seen that type of you versus yeah. some of this yeah. other teaching exactly. type of stuff. All right. So you mentioned yeah. website, you mentioned demo video. What other pieces do uh, you need to consider? Uh, YouTube, website, and social media presence for sure. If you're a content speaker, should be much, much higher on LinkedIn than it is on any other medium. Some speakers are, their medium is Instagram. Some speakers, their medium is Facebook. So social media presence is critical and be able to show proof that there's really good social media engagement after your events. Uh, You can track that through all these different sorts of platforms and being able to send to a client here's what the engagement was like from a similar event to yours that ups your uh, street cred again. 
So social media is really critical. And then whether or not you do a blog or a vlog or a podcast or any other kind of write articles and or are in the media, all of that, whatever a speaker can generate should either have one of those things. They should have a podcast or a vlog or write articles or write a blog. You got to do one of those things at the very least to up your digital footprint. If you have the, you know, some venues are, or some speakers, their medium is video. Vin Zhang, he's all video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't, doesn't want to write, isn't going to do that. Right. Just not going to be what he does, right? Mike Walsh, one of my other speakers, podcast for him. That was it. That was the medium that he felt that he would be really authentic with and would be able to really contribute and increase digital footprint. I use his podcasts with customers all the time. Yeah. So everybody has, you have to choose the medium that's going to be best. And be, if you're a busy guy, if you got, whether you got lots of speaking or not, you probably got lots of other things in your life. Just pick one, just do one right. and do it as well as you possibly can to right. up your digital footprint. What do you find that most event planners and just the industry in general, what, what are the topics that they're booking for currently? What are the problems that they're looking to have solved for their audiences? Top two are innovation and leadership. Leadership has been, I mean, I've been in the industry over 20 years and leadership has been consistent all those years. And certainly there are subsets to you know leadership, whether it be communication or whatever, right? But the overall topic of leadership is is big, but the very biggest topic and has been big now for about three years and doesn't look like it's going to ship to anytime soon is the innovation topic. How clients are looking how to are looking for advice on how to increase their business by being innovative and creative and uh, collaborative. Right. Those those three things seem to be in the innovation space. How do we encourage our uh, people to be more innovative and creative and collaborative? So I'm curious for for speakers who are, are trying to figure out maybe who they speak to, what they speak about. I think the, the natural tendency is to want to spread the net as far and wide as possible. I speak to all these different audiences on all these different subjects and topics. What do you want me to speak about? That's what I actually speak about. And we really try to cast this net far and wide. We always tell speakers, like, you really want to be a lot more narrow and focused. So oh, I'm curious so for you, like, how do you find the balance for speakers of not going too broad, but at the same time, not going too narrow in terms of who they speak to, but also what's the problem that they can solve. A speaker can appeal to a wide variety of industries. Yeah. I don't feel that a speaker should narrow their their thought process very much in terms of industries. If they have a, a non-industry type of topic, obviously some speakers are very industry focused, so they speak in that industry. Yeah. But if you're a leadership speaker, you really need to hone in on that. And you need to pick the lane, as Jane Atkinson talks about. Mm -hmm. You need to pick your lane. You need to identify within leadership, is it teamwork? Am I an expert? Can I, do I have something to bring to the table in terms of pulling that team together? Or is it more how to communicate? Or is it more uh, HR kind of soft skills, leadership skills? Where in the world of leadership, do I uh, am I authentically the best at? And then become a specificist in that. Be a generalist in leadership, yeah. but become an, the knowledge expert in that area. I've just gone through this medical thing, and I cannot believe 
well, it makes sense, but at the same time, it kind of doesn't make sense to me. But there are so many specialists within the healthcare industry, and we are becoming very similar in that you need to identify your niche, and yet that niche, don't make it too narrow unless you purposefully want to make it narrow and be industry-focused as an industry speaker. But make yourself a niche that's wide enough and yet narrow enough that you stay focused. It's you that needs to stay focused in that niche and not get bunny trailed all over the place because somebody says to you, oh, this is hot. You should talk on that. Mm. Yeah, it might be hot, but if I don't have any expertise in it, how the heck am I going to be able to actually serve a customer with it? So uh, it is a fine line and it's something that I know every speaker usually fights with throughout their speaking career. How do I stay niche and yet broad enough that I'm not so niche that my market's so small. So one of the the biggest challenges for any speaker at any point in their career is just to continually book gigs. And and so it's it's great and this is why you know your role is so valuable for people who are like I can just focus on speaking and I don't have to worry about some of the the business development side. So what would you say to a speaker who let's say they're doing 10, 20, 30 gigs and they're getting some traction, they're getting some momentum and as you well know speaking is very much a momentum business that once you're booking gigs it's yeah. a heck of a lot easier to book more gigs. But yeah. oftentimes early on it it can be difficult getting that momentum and that flywheel going. So what do you find works well for just from the beginning like booking gigs? So a new speaker, someone who's new? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Or even just kind of an emerging up and coming speaker. An emerging. Okay. I think what happens to speakers, even when they come and work with us, is they think I don't have to speak for free anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't have to speak at exposure opportunities anymore because they got it. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) You always have to do exposure opportunities. Always. It's where you would try out new material. It's where you hone your skills on the platform absolutely must be doing exposure opportunities. And we don't source a lot of exposure opportunities. We look for sort of the cream of the crop, you know, if we can get somebody on the IASB stage, on the MDRT stage, et cetera, et cetera. We look for the cream of the crop exposure opportunities, but we don't really focus on the exposure opportunities that are going to be small in terms of payment, whether they be free or very small payment. Those a speaker needs to source out And they need to be offering to speak at local associations or wherever so that they can be honing their skills, trying out new material, constantly speaking. The more you work, the more you work. Mm -hmm. I stole that from Mike Rayburn. He says that all the time. He says, the more I work, the more I work. So he's looking, he looks at every opportunity we bring him, whether it's a lower fee than he's used to, he'll still look at it. We examine it. We think. What's the audience? Where is it? When is it? All these things come into play as to whether or not we're going to take a lesser fee gig or a an exposure opportunity. Yeah. So, but really, the more you work, the more you work. Yeah. Very Bottom true. line, you got to speak to speak more. Yeah. Bottom Indeed. line. Indeed. So, one of the things I'm also curious about is what do you feel like is the difference between a speaker that makes it versus one that that doesn't? Um, meaning that, and making it is a very you know subjective relative term. There's some speakers who are like, of course, all I want to do is five gigs, and that's it. Yep. I got a full time thing. This I use this for lead gen for some other part of my business. But for those who say I want to do this full time, there's some amazing speakers out there that just gave up long before they really got some of that momentum going. So mm-hmm. is there anything that you, you've you noticed as speakers who they stuck with it, they were in this for the long term, and they made it work versus those that quit too early? 
first of all, they treated it like a business. They really, truly treated it like a business. And most speakers, if unless you come out of a sales environment where perhaps you were a salesperson or you were working within a sales environment, most people don't know how to develop business, how to create business. Mm-hmm. And it is a skill. And it is one that every speaker in the very beginning needs to figure out for themselves. Yeah. You don't necessarily want to think, you're, if you don't want to think of yourself as a salesperson, that's fine. Frankly, we're all selling something. Mm-hmm. We're all selling ourselves. So it, it doesn't matter whether you want to think that way or not. What matters is that you actually understand if you're going to have a speaking business, it's up to you to create it, right. to start it, to make it happen. And the next thing I would say is authenticity between who they are, their knowledge base, and the message that they come out with. That has to be totally in line, has to be totally in sync. So if somebody values honesty and integrity, for instance, and and ends up talking about how to do sales in a way that isn't in line with their values, that's going to come across big time on stage. So authentic, who you are as a human, you got it, boy, there's probably a lot of speakers that have not gone through the personal growth they need to do, the delving, the hard work, you know, maybe going to see, (laughs) this is, it's going to be weird, but maybe going to see a psychologist to help them work through stuff because we all have stuff. So sometimes a speaker needs to actually do some personal development work in order to ensure that their professional message is in line and in sync. You know, we all have to grow and we all have to, uh, uh, you know, sometimes fight the demons that are in there, right? We all have that development that we've got to do. And just because you're a speaker on stage talking to hundreds of people doesn't mean that you maybe don't have some of that stuff. And if, if you aren't as successful as you think you are, look at what's going on in your life and figure out how authentic you are on stage. I always say to my, I haven't said this to somebody for a while, but the bottom line is I'll look at a speaker and I really like to see them in their environment because if they are on stage who they are in their kitchen, around their island, talking to their family. If they're the same, I know I got a winner. If they're not the same, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, yeah. Very, very well said. Karen, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. If people want to find out more about you and CMI, where where can we go? CMIspeakers.com. Awesome. And I will give the caveat so Karen doesn't have to. Don't stalk her. Don't send her a ton of emails about why you need to be on the roster. Okay. She's a busy lady. She took time to share all this with you. So don't bug her. All right. So Karen, thank you so much. This is very valuable. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Karen Harris. And again, you can check them out over at cmispeakers.com. Again, that's cmispeakers.com. Like I mentioned, please don't harass, please don't stalk Karen uh, to have uh, have you listed on her site. But uh, again, check out what they're up to and check out some of the uh, the speakers that they work with. Pay attention to those speakers and what, what it is that they're doing to build and grow their business and how you can implement some of what, uh, what Karen talked about today. Hey, like I mentioned to you at the beginning, uh, if you want uh, an agent, then definitely check out my 
myspeakingagent.com, myspeakingagent.com. It's a free resource that we offer with a database and list of uh, over a thousand different conferences and events that are looking for speakers. So it's a free tool that you can sort by different locations geographically. You can also look for uh, specific types of topics or genres that you may want to speak to in industries. So make sure you check that out. It's again, totally free over at myspeakingagent.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We will catch you next time. You're awesome. Awesome.